0: Good morning, so glad that you are worshiping with us today, whether you're here uh, in person joining us online, we are thrilled that you're here, hope your summer's going well, and I hope you have a great rest of your summer as well, but thanks for for worshiping with us today. If you have ever been to, or if you are familiar with the Dead Sea, you probably know that the Dead Sea is the lowest point on earth, geographically speaking, sea level speaking, it's the lowest point. Point on earth. Uh, I brought a map just to kind of orient us to the Middle East and and where everything is. You see the Sea of Galilee way up top, Jerusalem to the left. Um, Jesus did a lot of his teaching around the Sea of Galilee, but running from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea is the Jordan River, and then lowest point on earth is the Dead Sea. So not only everything from the Sea of Galilee, but really everything in that region all flows down to. The Dead Sea. Now, because it's at the lowest point on Earth, that also means there's nowhere for water to go from there. Like it can't go down any farther. That's as low as it can get. So everything that spills into the Dead Sea stays in the Dead Sea. As a result, there is uh, an unusual amount of minerals and salt and sediment that just collects in the dead sea it it was originally called the salt sea before it was called the dead sea it was called the salt sea because it's so salty there's so many so much minerals in the dead sea it is almost 10 times as salty as the ocean. So if you go to the beach and you don't like getting beach water in your eyes or mouth, uh, you would hate getting beach water uh, in your eye or mouth at the Dead Sea. As a matter of fact, if you choose to get in, then they're going to warn you, don't get it in your eyes. Don't get it in an open cut or in a, in a sore. You will not like the results. It's just that much salt and uh, minerals in the water now also because there's such a degree of of minerals the buoyancy in the Dead Sea is such that you can't sink you can't go down I have a couple of of pictures this is some of the um, the views from around uh, the Dead Sea but because when the water evaporates or the shore recedes mineral salt is left in in certain places around the Dead Sea it forms these beautiful uh, uh, shapes Uh, On on top of the water and even on the bottom of the water, I was reading an article by a travel agent that said, be careful because the salt, the white is on the bottom too and it reflects the sun and you can get burned really fast. But it forms these beautiful features uh, in some parts around the Dead Sea. But as you'll see from this picture, it also keeps you from sinking. If you get in the water, you'll just float. Here's a guy reading a book, just laying back floating on the water. Here, here's another picture of a couple of guys uh, all floating without even trying. You see, you see they're covered in mud The mud from the Dead Sea, because it's rich in all of those minerals, is supposed to have medicinal properties and healing properties for your skin. So people will go down there, cover themselves with mud, and float in the Dead Sea. Now, I don't know what kind of floater you are, just in general. Pools, lakes, people have different degrees of floating abilities. I consider myself an average floater. I wouldn't say I'm a professional floater. I'm not a a terrible floater, but I'm not a great floater either. Maybe some of you are. If you went to the sea, uh, when you if you went to the Dead Sea, you would be a professional floater, right? You, you can even get in the water if you can't swim, because you're not going to sink. You can't drown in the Dead Sea because you're always going to be uh, floating. I, I, I got to go to the Dead Sea when I was in college. Unfortunately, uh, it was the first of January. It was extremely cold, and I didn't pack a swimsuit. So I didn't get in the Dead Sea. The, the gift shop where we were, were, they were selling swimsuits, but the only swimsuit they were selling was a Speedo. <clears throat> and you'll be happy to know I said no to the Speedo. All right, it's just kind of a life value of mine to always say no to the Speedo. Um, Some of you aren't that way, which is fine. Some of you are more European than I am. That's fine. No judgment. I'm just saying for me, typically I'm going to say no to the speedo. And so I didn't get in the water, but I observed other people who did and and were floating. It's it's a fascinating place. The problem with anything, but a body of water in particular, where things flow into it, but nothing flows out, is that life can't thrive there. Life can't flourish there. Um, They found some microorganisms in the water of the Dead Sea. Seasonally, sometimes algae will bloom, certain types of algae will bloom, but, but higher forms of life, fish, plants, those sort of things, can't survive in an environment, where stuff just flows in and never flows out. It can't support life. Now, while this particular body of water is unique, the concept that life can't flourish when we only take things in and nothing goes out, that concept, that principle is not unique at all. It's true for our lives, If we live our life always wanting more, taking in more, absorbing more, if we evaluate all of life based on us, like if I'm at the center of all of my life and what makes me happy and what makes me comfortable and and what makes life easy for me, if I evaluate everything about my life according to how it impacts me, we will begin to find that, Life doesn't flourish very well in that environment. When I'm only taking in, when I'm only, we call it in, in our day, we call it consuming or consumerism, right? Consumerism is just taking in, just consuming, just absorbing everything about me, everything expended on me. When we live our lives solely as a consumer, never as a contributor, it is difficult for life to thrive, in that environment. As a matter of fact, if, we're, if we want to define consumerism uh, along with this illustration that I'm using of the Dead Sea, I would say that consumerism is turning my whole existence into the Dead Sea, it's turning my life into the Dead Sea where I just consume and take in and think about me and worry about me and like the Dead Sea in that environment, even though there are some benefits to that. I mean, if there weren't benefits to that, people wouldn't do it. There are some benefits, small benefits to that. But eventually, I discover this doesn't produce life. Just just wanting more and more. This doesn't produce flourishing. I mean, I, people don't thrive who are, cons, who, who are concerned only with more, getting more, wanting more, expanding more, uh, as, as sediment builds up in our life, all the things that we keep absorbing, then we begin to realize this, this isn't leading me to a life of, of flourishing. And, and, and sometimes we get warning signals. Like being in the Dead Sea and getting some in our eye, or, or in a in a, a an open cut, and realizing, oh, this is this is a harsh environment. Every once in a while, we look around at all the stuff we've amassed, and we think this isn't bringing me happiness. Like this this isn't making me feel fulfilled, and I could get more if I wanted, but it's not filling the parts of my heart that I that I thought it. Would feel at some point, one more car doesn't make me any happier. At some point, more square footage doesn't make me happier, right? If you're living in 500 square feet with three kids, more square footage would make you happy. I guarantee you. But like there's a line somewhere, and I'm not defining the line for you. I'm just saying there is a line at which more does not make me happier. And in some ways, more highlights the fact that I'm not putting important things into my life, right? The the challenge is our whole world is designed for consuming. It's designed to get us to want more, buy more, have more, right? We have storage units for all the things we have that we don't have anywhere to put. Right? We have basements that collect all the things we needed and wanted at one time, but we don't ever use anymore. We have all of these spaces because the world keeps telling us more is better, more is happier, more is more fulfilling. Um, right now, you could order almost anything you want from anywhere in the world if you wanted to. And that's the world we live in. It's so conducive to consuming, sitting where you are right now. You could order almost anything you wanted, and within a few days, if not a few hours, it would be at your house. That's how our world is oriented Uh, If you're uh, late teens, if you're early 20s, you are the prime target of advertisers who want you to consume because their strategy is if they can hook you with their brand in your late teens, early 20s, then there's a huge potential that you're going to be their consumer for the next 65 years. Or 70 years. So they would love to, to, to get you consuming their products now and to continue to consume their products for the rest of your life. Our whole world is oriented to me and consuming and getting more. But at some point, that doesn't lead to a life of fulfillment or thriving or flourishment. It just doesn't. Now, the solution to that is clear. It's not easy, but it's clear. And it's not just cutting back on my consuming or reducing my consuming. That may be a part of the process. That may be a step in the process. It's not a solution to the process because when I reduce my consuming, then I'm still building up all of the sediment in my life. I'm just building it up slower. So that doesn't solve the problem. It maybe helps the problem. What solves the problem is to have a way for things to go out, for things to leave me, for, for, for me to give in some way, not just have things flowing into my life, but to have a process to to consistently be giving out of my life. The only way to fix this constant Inflow is to have outflow. I don't know if those are words, but we're going to use them, all right? When there is no outflow, things get messy, right? We use phrases like backed up and clogged, and you've never used those in a positive sense. If you get up to go to work in Atlanta tomorrow and The person on the radio says, I-285 is backed up. No one says, oh, I was hoping for that. That is so great. I'm so excited. 285 is backed up. Nobody says that. If, If they say Spaghetti Junction is clogged this morning, that's not a good thing. Inflow without outflow is messy. It's bad. We don't say backed up and clogged and mean something positive and not just traffic. When you're talking about you and you use the phrases, backed up and clogged, you don't mean anything positive. right? When when things flow in, but they don't flow out, this is not good. And sometimes we have to look at our lives. Sometimes we have to look at our our, our spiritual experience because here's the world we live in. You can not only... Order anything you want from anywhere in the world right now. You can consume spiritual content 24 hours a day, seven days a week if you want. We have access. Just so much spiritual content, whether it's books or or audio books or a podcast or teaching or worship service. You can watch worship services from around the globe today, just back to back all day long. We can absorb, we can take in spiritual content. Constantly, And there's wonderful benefits to this. There's wonderful good news that we have access to all of the spiritual content. But at some point, we don't need more spiritual content. We need to do something with the spiritual content we've received. Right? We, we need to act in accordance with the spiritual content we've already received. Spiritual things need to be going out of us, not just coming in to us. In Acts chapter 20, Paul quotes Jesus in verse 35. It's an interesting quote. What makes it interesting is that this particular line is not found in any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is where we typically find the sayings of Jesus because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the telling of the story of Jesus, what his life was like, and usually when somebody quotes Jesus, we find that in the Gospels. Paul says something in Acts 20, 35 that's not in any of the Gospels, right? And to to be fair, uh, not all of the Gospels were written at that time. They weren't circulated widely at that time. So, Paul wasn't looking through the Gospels and trying to pick out a clever saying from Jesus. Paul was going on what he had heard all the people who knew Jesus talk about. Like all the people who knew Jesus knew that Jesus said this thing. They, they had heard it. It was, it was common knowledge that this was something that Jesus said. And so Paul quotes it in Acts 20, verse uh, 35. This is, this is what we read. In everything I did, this is Paul speaking, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, nobody here is shocked at that phrase, right? We all know that phrase. Maybe you didn't know it wasn't in the gospels, but we all know that phrase, whether you grew up in church or not. We've heard that phrase, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Some of us, have experienced that to be true. We've experienced it to be true because we have served someone in a way that didn't benefit ourselves. It it only benefited another person or we've given financially to someone or to some organization that didn't benefit us. It only benefited somewhere else, someone else. And we know how that felt. We know the joy that, that comes with that. We we know the the sense of meaning and purpose and value of serving someone who can't serve us back. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive in, in the verbiage of what we're talking about today it is more blessed for things to flow out of your life than for things to flow into your life. Right now what flows out is probably an overflow of what's coming into your life. But Jesus says happiness is found not when you get more and more and more. Happiness is found when you give away. It's more blessed to give than to receive. We are, if you're new uh, with us today, we're in this series called Wired. And, and you know, l- let me just be honest. I, I, I'm kind of challenging our church as we head into the fall. Fall is kind of when things pick up and, and uh, our ministries ramp back up and, and more people come back to worship. And, and as I'm thinking about that, I, I, I'm trying to paint an accurate picture of where we are, July 25th, 2021, as we look forward. And, 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 and what I want to challenge you with today is this thought of how are you serving and giving beyond yourself in our church experience, right? in, in, in our spiritual experience together. And, and certainly, it's more blessed to give than to receive it relates to financial giving. Certainly, we need, as we move forward, we need generous people, sacrificial people who will continue to be faithful in their giving. And our church has been remarkably faithful uh, since the beginning of the pandemic in giving. We have not lacked for anything. As a matter of fact, we we refinanced our, our mortgage. We gave more money away as a church in 2020 than we've ever given away to missions and nonprofits and our ministry partners. In 2020, we gave away more money than we've ever given away. And that's because you were just faithful and and consistent in your giving. And and, and certainly that's a part of what Jesus is saying. Having a generous heart is better than being a consumer. Um, To let you know where we are financially, we're six months now, six and a half months through the year as of the end of June we're about 10% behind our adopted budget it's about thirty, thirty-five thousand 35,000 something like that it's not a huge amount it it hasn't limited our ministries we, we we aren't spending more than's coming in we have a significant financial cushion in the bank but as i'm letting you know kind of how this year's going and and where we are we're about 10% uh, behind our goal for the year which again is not terribly unusual for this point in the calendar year. But, but I want to say thank you to those who are, who are generous and faithful and are giving because you're allowing us to continue our ministries. And, and, and as we look to the fall and as we look to get back to 100% of our ministries, I just want to challenge all of us uh, my family you you your family to be faithful when it comes to financial giving but this idea of it's better to give than to re- receive is not just a financial principle it's an it's an all of life principle it's how am i giving time energy giftedness skills my experiences how am i giving that away rather than just being a receiver of all of that and, and, and I want to I want to challenge you as, as we move into the fall that you make your church experience bigger than just what you're receiving bigger than just what you're taking. In. Now, it's okay to receive. Now, you should receive from your church. You should be encouraged by your church. You should be challenged by your church. You should grow spiritually uh, in your church. Uh, you should have opportunities that are provided to you and to your kids and, and to you as a family, to your teenager. There are things that you should be receiving from the church that you attend. W- what I'm challenging you with today is don't let your experience in the body of Christ end with what you're receiving because you've been called not just to receive you've been called to give here's here's a reality of churches everywhere churches local bodies of of christ churches can't function unless the people give of themselves for other people right it just churches can't exist churches can't be run by a few people Church ministry expands, more people are reached, more people are discipled, more groups uh, can be uh, held at a church, more ministry can take place at a church to the degree that more people give themselves away in ministry. More people say, this is about more than just what I'm getting out of it, I want to participate. Um, in in the category of just kind of being honest with you uh, about where things are at our church and at most churches. What I'm going to say to you is the reality for 90% of churches in America right now. Um, you've probably heard if you've been in churches that when it comes to nonprofits and churches in particular, 20% of the people typically do 80% of the work, right? 20% of the people sign up and show up and then they sign up for another thing because nobody signed up for it and then they took on one more thing. And so 20% of the people end up running really, really fast and really, really hard to accomplish most of the ministry work that takes place. That's, that's typical in churches um, the, the problem one of the problems with that is that uh, that means 80% of the people don't get to experience this it's better to give them receive idea right? they never get that fulfillment of I'm participating in something I'm giving myself to something the, the other problem is that 20% one by one they start to get burned out eventually Right, because they're doing everything, and and the weight of everything is on them. Add to that uh, general principle that we're wherever we are in a pandemic. All right, I don't even know where we are. I stopped trying to figure out where we are. Um, we're we're uh, a year and a half in. Let's say that. I I don't know when it all ends or what happens now. I don't know any of that. I just know we're a year and a half into a pandemic. And so what we have now, most churches, including ours, most churches uh, are experiencing not 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work, but now 20% of the 20% are doing 80% of the work. And, And we anticipated that, right? We expected that because of the unusual nature of what we've all experienced. When we reopened last June, we knew it was going to be slow. We knew people, it was going to take time. There were some people who didn't need to come back right away. There were people with underlying health issues. Uh, There were people who just didn't need to come. Still, there are people with health issues who now still not the right time for them to be back in person. But we knew early on it was going to be very slow. People were going to be testing the waters, putting their toe in, deciding if they were going to make this uh, 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 an every week thing or were they going to go back to online online. So we knew that we would be running uh, our volunteer ministry, uh, all of our ministries on a a small group of people. And as a matter of fact, some of you remember at the very beginning of reopening, we didn't even have all of our volunteer positions up and running, right? We didn't do coffee bar, We, we, we cut down the number of greeters, we cut down the number of ushers, you know, we just kind of bold everything down to the the absolute bare essentials we felt like we needed to have in order to have a Sunday morning service we understood that that's the way it was going to be now we're a year and a half in right and and for the past year and a half we've been making it work with a small group of people serving uh, in the roles that we have at our church, and I appreciate our staff. Uh, they they have made things work with duct tape and chewing gum over the last year and a half because we just knew people needed time. We needed to be patient. Uh, we needed to do what was most important, but we didn't need to overextend ourselves. And you know, the way Jennifer has led in our children's ministry, and Ian has led in our student ministry, and Zach's led our worship and production ministry. I'm so grateful. For them, But you know, if you've been coming, it's a small percentage of people that have been showing up in the volunteer areas. And I don't want to start calling names because I will miss somebody and I will make people mad. And I do not want to make this group mad because I am so happy for them. But you know, let's do it this way. Let's do it this way. You know, there have been very similar faces every week greeting you when you came to worship. I don't have to call names. You just know, if you've come two, three, four, twenty 20 times, you know very familiar faces every time. There have been some very similar faces serving coffee uh, on Sunday mornings, right? Very familiar faces at... Our welcome home table. Very familiar faces who uh, are serving as usher. Very familiar faces out in the parking lot. So I'm not going to call them all by name. You know who they are. You know what they look like. At least if you don't know their name, they've been here week after week after week after week. And they've been faithful. And they've had a great attitude, and, and 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 they're not mad at anybody. Thank goodness. Like they've hung in there and they're serving so faithfully and I'm so grateful for them. But I, but I, but I wanna to say to the rest of us, it's it's time, right? It's time to step back in. It's time uh, to sign back up, to make a commitment, to see this as your church and your ministry that God is leading and directing and, and not just the one that you show up for, right? Not, not just the one that you... Sit for. Let's be honest. This is true of all of us. It's been easy to get comfortable being on the fringe during the last year and a half. It's been easy. It's been comfortable to just hang out on the periphery of what was happening. And it's understandable. Right? We're trying to figure out. We were arm's length, like we social distance, you know, that whole thing. And so, it, it became easy, and then it became habitual to just hang out on the periphery. And, and I'm saying, we're, we're ready to go. Like, we're ready to move our ministry forward. We're, we're ready to re-engage uh, our community. We're ready to serve schools. Uh, we're ready to, uh, to serve uh, mission trips. We're ready to serve our nonprofits. We have people visiting our church every sunday multiple people for the first time some some today first time they've been to journey was today we have people and it it happened today and last week and the week before we have people who haven't been to our church they attended our church prior to the pandemic and they're just now coming back for the very first time those of you who are here early on in the pandemic You remember our experience when people came for the first time in the middle of the pandemic? Like, you could always tell. They had the look. They had the first time back in the pandemic look, right? And they kind of wandered, and they weren't sure what to expect, and the seating kind of freaked them out, and they, they didn't know if they were supposed to talk to anybody. So we all agreed, secretly, we didn't tell them. We all agreed, like, look for those people that look like they're scared to death, okay? They're new. Go tell them it's going to be okay. We still have that, right? I laughed on the drive home last week because we had somebody show up for the very first time and they walked in just like people walked in last June. I guess everybody, is anybody going to be mad at me that that I haven't been back? No, we're not mad at you. We're glad you're back. We love you. Come on, just just get in here. So what we need is more people on the front lines of welcoming those people back. So that they know this is a place you can belong. This is a place you can be. And for many of us, the next step in the progression right now is getting back into serving or getting into serving for the first time. You're back. You've been here a while. You worship. And now the next step in connecting is committing. This isn't true for everybody, but some of us aren't really connected yet because we haven't committed yet. Some of us aren't connected yet. Like it still feels pandemic-y, right? It still feels social distance-y for some of us because we haven't said, you know what? I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna do this when I'm here. I'm gonna commit to this when I'm here here. You have something to offer. You have something to give. This is not my church. It's not the staff's church. This is God's church, and we all exist in it to serve one another and serve the kingdom of God. Now, in the Bible, when there were tasks that needed to be done, the two questions that often got asked were, what is the need, and what do you have? What is the need, and what do you have? Let me give you some examples. God comes to Moses in Exodus in a burning bush, and he's explaining his plan that he needs somebody to go to Pharaoh and tell him, God's about to take his people to the promised land. This is going to happen. God needed a spokesperson to stand before Pharaoh, and God says, Moses, you're going to be it. And Moses offers all of these excuses for why he's not the one to meet that need. Here are all the reasons why I can't do it. The conversation eventually leads to this, in Exodus 3, verse 1. Moses answered God, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? What do you have? What's the need? Well, somebody's got to go inform Pharaoh about what God's getting ready to do. What do you have? I have a rod. That's enough. There's this dynamic of God always saying, here's the need. What do you have? That's enough. I'll use it. With what you have and what God can do, that's enough. What's the need? What do you have? That's enough. David goes to fight Goliath, right? He's, he's going to the front lines. They tell him he's a giant. The need is somebody's got to defeat this guy. What do you have? I got a sling and five stones. God says, that's enough. That's all I need. I need you and what you have, and I'll do the rest. What's the need? What do you have? Combine that with God. It's enough. The prophet Elisha is talking to a widow who's about to lose all her property, and her sons are about to be sold into slavery because she can't pay her bills. This is the conversation in uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. What do you have? Here's the situation. This is the need. Two sons about to be sold into slavery. They're going to take everything. I have. That's the need. What do you have? And at first she says, I don't have anything. And then she says, well, I have the small jar of olive oil, but I don't think that's going to do much. Elisha says, well, God will take that and will meet all of your needs. What is the need? What do you have? Give it to God. He'll do the rest. Jesus is teaching all day long. We know the story of feeding the 5,000. He's teaching all day long. We get to the end of the day. They're hungry. The, the, the disciples say, You've got to send them all home. They're hungry. We don't have any food. Tell them to go away and, and get something to eat. And Jesus says, No, you do something about it. And then he wants to know, What do you have? We have a lunch. With bread and fish, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? That's the question. The question is never what is the obstacle or what is the need or what is the problem. The question is, with God, what you have can become enough. What do you, what do you have? Uh, we, we have needs in just about every area of serving in our church. We have needs. We do. We're, we're, we're a year and a half into a pandemic. It's been a slow process. We have needs. in every area of service, so what do you have? Can you smile? I don't know. Not everybody can, right? We, we know people who can't smile. It's genetic. It's like the muscles don't go this way. For whatever reason, okay, we're not going to let you be a greeter. But if you can smile, we, we could use you. If you could just welcome people, you just be warm. You can be friendly. If you can have the perspective that your encounter with someone may determine whether they ever come back to worship with us again whether we ever get to teach them the word of God again, whether they ever get to sing in worship with us again, your interaction, your smile, your welcome, your greeting, your helping them could determine whether they become a part of our church, maybe determine whether we get the chance to lead them to Jesus. What what, what do you have? We need people across all of our hospitality ministries, greeters, ushers, coffee bar, parking, welcome home table, like across all of them. We need warm, welcoming, loving people who will see themselves positioned as ambassadors of Jesus toward those who are going to come to our church. It's just people who want to have an outflow. They just want to give. We need you. We have a place for you. We have a, a need for you. Uh, we need people in Journey Kids Ministry. Maybe the need in Journey Kids Ministry is more than it's ever been before just because of where we are in this process. Right? We, we need people who will love children and teach them the word of God in Journey Kids Ministry. I'm so grateful to Jennifer for how she's organized during this very difficult year how she's put things together, how she's filled roles, how she's encouraged volunteers. I'm so grateful for the people who have shown up uh, week after week after week and been in classrooms teaching boys and girls about Jesus. I'm so grateful for them. We just need more. We, we, We need more. And specifically, we need more adults. Our teenagers are great. Our teenagers lead in worship, and, and they help in small group classes. They are fantastic. we got tons of teenagers serving in children's ministry. We need some adults to serve alongside of our teenagers. If you can hold and love babies in the nursery, we need you. We have a bumper crop of babies in our church right now and over the next couple of months. Uh, like every time I pull up Facebook, some other young couple in our church is announcing, like, we, we, we got babies everywhere, and we're going to have more babies over the next six months here at our church. We need people who love kids and, and who want to serve parents so that mom and dad could come sit together and worship together for an hour on Sunday while they know their child is being taken care of by somebody that loves them. Right? That, 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 you remember what it was to be a, a new parent? For some of us, it's been a while. For some of us, it's fresh. Remember what, you remember what it's like spit up all the time, right? And change of diapers and wiping high knees. And you know what? That's like. What if we loved young couples, young parents enough to say, look, we're going to staff a nursery and a children's ministry so you don't have to worry. You can come and you can worship God and you can have that hour to grow spiritually and you don't have to worry about who's taking care of your kids because we're going to love them well. We need that. Wednesday night, Journey Kids Ministry, we're getting ready to ramp that up in September. We need some adults who will teach children the Word of God, help them memorize the Word of God. I was talking to Jennifer this week, and she needs substitutes. Like, like if you can't commit regularly, but you would say, I'll fill in. If you have somebody that gets sick or or bails out at the last minute, call me. I'll be here. I'll be a sub. I'll fill in in Journey Kids Ministry. Uh, We need people who love our teenagers and serve our teenagers. We need people who will give themselves to discipling teenagers as we prepare to send them to the next season of their life. We need people in our production area. I'm just giving you the the whole wad this morning, all right, as we get ready for the fall. We need people in our production area. Um, I'm so grateful to Zach for the way he is. He has enhanced, expanded, upgraded our online ministry. Like we are light years away from where we were a year ago. ago. But what that means is it takes three to four times as many people to run our production area on a Sunday-by-Sunday basis as it did prior to COVID. Three to four times as many people at a camera, in front of a computer with graphics, mixing sound for online, mixing sound for in-house. It it just takes more people. And Zach's done a wonderful job recruiting. Many of you have responded. Many of you are serving in that area who weren't serving in that area before. We need more people serving in that area because we believe that's a ministry that's going to continue to reach people. So we need you. What do you have? What can you give? How can you connect? How can you commit? Yes, there is sacrifice involved. Yes, you do bear more responsibility. You have to get here earlier. You might have to stay later. Yes, there is sacrifice, but that's part of giving out. That's part of serving other people so that we could be an example of Christ to more and more people. This is what we don't want to be. We don't want to be Dead Sea Christians and we don't want to be a Dead Sea church. We're just consuming stuff, consuming content, consuming experiences, consuming moments that make me feel better. Like We want to have those moments. We want to give you good content. We want to teach you and disciple you. We want you to enter into worship. We want that to bless your soul. We want that to encourage you. We just don't want you to stop with what you get but we want you to experience the joy of serving other people and giving of yourself and we're going to talk next week about how we're going to serve outside of this building how, how we're going to serve our local community how we're going to serve internationally we're going to talk about that more next sunday And i hope you're going to be back but this sunday i really want you to think about we're a year and a half in for many of you, this is your church home. That's not a question. This is your church home. Whether you're a, a member or not a member, this is, this is your church home. It's time to commit again. It's time to serve again. It's time to give away and not just receive. Let's pray. God, we don't want to just be filled up with all the stuff of life. Or, or even all the stuff of church. Uh, we, we can be consumers in church just like we're consumers in life. Where we just take in and take in. And we view everything that happens as for me and what I like and what I'm supposed to get. And what I, what I deserve. Give us a mentality that says it, it's much better to give out even than it is to receive. It's much better to serve than it is to be served. It's much better to give my gifts away than to have other people acknowledge my gifts. Help us, help us not to be Dead Sea Christians. God, I just believe as you're already doing, you're going to send people here. People looking for a church home. Uh, believers who are looking for a place to connect with others but also unbelievers who need to hear the truth of the gospel. And we want to love them well, and we want to serve them well, and we want to give ourselves away so that they could come to know Jesus. Help us to commit. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.